Hey, 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 it's Saida Brown here and welcome to a State of Wealth podcast, a podcast where I talk about real estate, cryptocurrencies, digital currencies, and of course, the acquisition and transmission of wealth from our generation to the next. It's just a cool thing to talk about. You know, y'all know from listening to the podcast that I'm a licensed uh, real estate agent with Sotheby's and I'm, I'm... I think the Sotheby's brand is the top real estate brand, of course, not just because my license is affiliated with them in New York and New Jersey and North Carolina, but just because it's so vast and wide, especially in the luxury market, which is the playground that I like to play in the sandbox in. And um, I just feel like the conversations, this podcast was born out of the conversations that I have with people every single day. People asking, Saida, what should I do? My grandmother left me a house. Should I sell it? Should I hold it? Like, what should I do? When I first got into real estate, I will tell you, I I made no money. Not because I couldn't make money, but I was helping save people's homes more than I was actually trying to list them and sell them. And that's when I really realized that fundamentally we 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 have an issue with not real estate because that's getting too granular and too into the weeds but with wealth like black people need to become a little bit more comfortable being wealthy i think i'll i write a new book black people become comfortable being wealthy (laughs) we don't have a problem and i hope this doesn't sound i hope i'm not being facetious um you know getting crab legs getting our hair done getting going to jamaica going to cancun going on a cruise But those are the trappings of seemingly having wealth, but that doesn't mean you actually have wealth. And so when I first got into real estate, the conversations that I I was having, getting listings and helping people with their homes, they were all distress calls, like SOS calls. And over the course of this podcast, I'll share, you know, some of the the good deals that I've experienced and some of the not so great deals. But I will say this with all candor and honesty, that this podcast is definitely born out of uh, me being alert and, and being cognizant of how wealth is slipping through our fingers because we're not prepared to deal with real estate transactions. You know, black people, we have a lot of money. And Nana and Grandpa, they're passing down houses now. Um, there, there's, there's assets. And because many of us are not properly trained and of, of what to do with these assets, unfortunately, we're not a good fiduciary over those assets. And we lose them. The state takes them. Whatever. It can be any number of things. But I will, I will tell you honestly that when I really got into real estate a few years ago, I, I was I spent most of my time um, triaging real estate, triaging homes and triaging relationships, fractured relationships between family members. I mean, I've witnessed situations where a home was getting ready to get lost because a brother and sister weren't speaking. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, in Brooklyn, uh, uh, the average home is probably seven hundred thousand dollars. 
most of the homes that I dealt with were, were in, there was some uh, deferred maintenance that needed some work, but even at four or $500,000, you, you mean you're going to let this, this, the city take this because of back taxes, because you and your brother don't want to pay the back taxes because it's something he did when you guys were 14 years old. That's crazy. But that's the stuff that I was dealing with. Um, and so a state of wealth is not just touching on real estate deals and, and the real estate process and digital currency, but it, it really, at the heart of it, deals with generational wealth and what does that look like. So I hope, it's my prayer, you know, I do this show every single day, it's my prayer that you listen to it and take away little gems of information that you can apply to your life, that you can share with a friend, a coworker, um, to really help you understand and help the people around you, your sphere of influence, your family and friends, and those that you love, understand it's number one, it's okay for black people to have money. It's not corny. It does not make us Carlton Banks. Um, but it just makes us wise and smart. There's a guy that I follow on Instagram. His name is MJ Harris. I have been gently <laughs> stalking him for probably a year and a half. I don't even know how I discovered him on Instagram. But he is wild in his opinions. Do not follow MJ Harris if you are sensitive to uh, cursing and profanity. That is not the, the person to follow. But... I think he uses profanity just to make salient points. It's really just to kind of bring home what he's trying to say. And it's it's not used in a, in a loose way. But yesterday he made a post. And so he said, you know, at the end of last year, he his, his nephew came to live with him, his nephew Marco. And he calls him his nephew's son. <laughs> and so Marco evidently didn't have a high school diploma at the time. So you know, those that follow MJ Harris had the opportunity to watch Marco study during COVID, just like many other people, other students did. He graduated from high school and he and he started, um, he got his insurance license. And so Marco now has, you know, he's on the gram now with Balenciaga and Gucci and things like that. So evidently somebody has been throwing Marco some shade about, you know, what he's wearing and this and that, and that he comes from privilege. So MJ Harris had to set the record straight yesterday. And when I say he said that thing, set that record straight, he set it straight. He said, when do we get to a point as black people? where we have to make our kids come from the mud like we may have had to come from the mud. And that struck a chord with me because I didn't come from abject, I don't want to say abject poverty, um, but I didn't come from a compromised financial situation. I was really blessed and privileged to grow up a certain way. And so some of the experiences that my peers had, I just didn't have just for whatever reason, I was lucky. My mother told me stories of how poor she was. Um, my, my mother was deathly afraid of rodents. And she said it's because she would go to sleep hearing the rats 
chewing, I guess, at the door or at the floor or in the walls or something like that. And so my mother was deathly afraid of rodents. So as a result, wherever we lived was definitely rodent free. I never saw a mouse in my house until my husband and I moved into an apartment in Jersey City, New Jersey. And because there was so much construction in Jersey City, uh, because it's right on the other side of the water of Manhattan, I saw a mouse in my house and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> but I was a full-fledged adult before I, before I first ever saw a mouse in the house. Um, but it's the same thing, you know, about, and I've talked about this before, about soft foods. My mother said, that she grew up eating mashed potatoes and oatmeal and grits and, you know, mushy starches. So when she had me, she refused to eat those types of foods. So I didn't grow up eating mashed potatoes, grits, oatmeal, farina, cream. I, I didn't grow up eating that. Like I would eat it every now and again at my grandmother's house when I went to visit, but on a regular basis, I never ate those types of foods. And so when MJ Harris was saying last night about Marco, how people were criticizing, oh, of course, Marco is going to be successful uh, selling insurance because his uncle sells insurance and he's very successful. And, and MJ's response was, so what? Why is that a bad thing? Like, so what? Other races have been doing that for years. You build your relationships and your network so when your children come up, they don't have to have it as difficult as we may have had it. He was like, so what if Marco had it a little bit easier? When did that become an indictment on our work ethic? Why is that a bad thing? Why can we not get to a place where we do live better or we do make it easier for our children? I remember having many, many conversations with my children when they were teenagers. They're now very much adults in their 20s and explaining to them why how we lived was not an anomaly. And all I would hear, particularly from my younger son at the time, oh, you know, you're so extra mommy, you know, for those of you that know me, I don't have anything plastic in my house. Mom, I grew up that way. And I and I, re I reared my children and, and governed my house that same way. There's no paper plates, there's no plastic forks. But part of that, let me just digress for a minute comes from my professor, Professor Garuba, when I was in college, many, many years ago, she I was taking night classes, I already had my children, I was trying to complete my first degree. And she was my professor uh, for night classes. And it was late and I didn't live terribly far from the college. So she offered a ride home. So she took a liking to me, very lovely woman from Africa. And I invited her up to meet my husband and my children. And so when I walked in the door, my two sons came running, mommy, mommy, ah! you know, they had already been in the bed, but it was probably at this point, maybe 10, 10, 15. And they heard me come in the door and came running. And one of my sons wanted water. So I went into the cabinet and Ikea, I don't even know if they still have it. This was so long ago. These really cute, colorful, hard plastic tumblers. And that's what my children used. So I reached into the cabinet, got a tumbler out, went to give him some water. And she said, my dear sister, why are you giving him that cup? And I, I was dumb. I'm like, what do you mean? Why am I? He wanted water. And so at the time, I think my younger son was probably about three years old. Three, about three years old because but when I graduated he was about three or four 
And she said, give him a glass. And I said, why would I give him a glass? Because if he drops it, he's going to break it and I'll have glass everywhere. She said, yes, but how will he, how and when will he ever know and learn how to drink from a glass? And that never, that's, that, that, that penetrated my spirit. It touched my soul. And the next day I got rid of all the plastic. I mean, we don't even have plastic Tupperware containers in our house. We have all glass. But the point is this, going back to MJ and his nephew's son, Marco. When do we get to a place where we have to make our children struggle to make them feel like they can do it? Why don't we make it a little bit easier for them? I know I was a teenage mother and I've shared this in many of my books and many of my speaking engagements that I feel I was able to do to reach a certain place in life because my parents were gracious. They did have relationships and they did have their own sphere of influence and network of friends that were really able to help me to help me not just get into this sunken place of I'm a teenage mother, woe is me, life is over. Like, no, so what, you had a baby, you can still achieve X, Y, and Z. And that is purely, well, a lot of prayer for myself and a lot of sheer determination, but a lot of it had to do with the relationships that my parents had and the the, the network that I was able to lean on in those in those sunken place quote unquote sunken place moments and so the same way mj harris said yesterday on his on his instagram that you know people need to stop with the tea and the shade about how marco of course marco is going to be successful he said that's what we're supposed to do so so with that all being said that's the spirit of of a state of wealth a state of wealth is not just about real estate. It's about your mindset. What are you thinking? What is on your heart? And what steps can you take, even if you don't have children, to make the lives of your nieces or nephews or, or, or great nieces, great nephews, godchildren, a little bit easier along the way? There's no shame in that. There's no shame in living up to our honest and true potential. There's no shame in, in, in becoming the highest manifestation of ourself so we can help the next generation and make it easier. I, I don't wanna make it a black or white thing, but for the sake of this conversation, white people have been doing it all uh, since the dawn of age. I watched a special on Netflix today called Explained, and I, I'm always been, I've always been fascinated with wealth and money. And they were saying that uh, when the when Forbes first started doing its richest people list, I think it was 1984, if I'm not mistaken, if, if that's the wrong year, somebody correct me, 11 of the 400 people had the last name Rockefeller. Process that. That money is that long that when they first started doing that list, when they first started compiling that list in the 80s, 11 people, what's that, 2 3% had the last name Rockefeller. That did, they did not, that was not first generation money. That's because generation prior, generation prior, gen, they were able to build upon that. So, with that being said, let's stop hitting the reset button and making each generation start over. Leave something for the next generation to build upon. Even if it's something like a car, even if it's just a car, take your parents' old car 
and fix it and give it to your kids. Not only will it have sentimental value because it's their grandparents' car, but because now there's no car payment, there's no notes. What steps can you take to make it easier for the next generation? That is the spirit of generational wealth, the acquisition and transmission of such. So that's that. I want to get into tips uh, today's t- talk really about some some tips that first time home buyers can take when they're ready to buy a home. I get this question a lot, so I figured today would be a really light show. Um, I want to really get into compound interest and amortization of your loans of your of your mortgage, uh, and really get into the meat and, and the numbers and the statistics of of why home ownership works. Uh, but today we're, we're, we're going to do a little bit of 101. So you want to buy a home. These are some things that you can do. These are some tips that you can follow to make the process a little bit easier. But before we get into that, today is July 15th, 2021. And it happens to be a great day in Twitter history. In 2006, it was launched as Twitter, T-W-T-T-R, by parent company Odeo. Exactly a year ago, a 17-year-old orchestrated a massive Twitter hack that compromised the accounts of 130 of the most prominent people in the world, including Barack Obama and Elon Musk. But this year, uh, you know, Twitter decided to make a big move on July 14th. And so we just want to celebrate technological advances. And I will say this, I had a good tip when Twitter was first starting. I don't want to say who, who told me, but... Um, Someone who I trust implicitly, I had lunch with him uh, at, at this place called Italy on 23rd Street near Fifth Avenue. It's a phenomenal place for those of you that are in the city. It's like a smorgasbord of just all different foods. But anyway, I was, I was in this restaurant and was told that there's this new social media site coming out and you can share content, but it has to be 140 characters or less. And I'm like, that's never going to work. How do you say what you want to say in 140 characters or less? I had the opportunity to invest early in Twitter and I didn't. So I'm slapping myself on the hand. Shame on me, Saida. Uh, I should have I should have invested in Twitter. But one more thing I want to share with you really quickly um, that's very important before I get into the tips of home ownership is I've been reading a lot of financial um, news And I'm hearing and reading from reliable sources um, that the money that these parents just that that are they're starting to get from my understanding, the money is starting to hit the accounts of parents where they can get up to three hundred dollars per child, um, up to thirty six hundred dollars, where it was previously capped at two thousand. That, in essence, may be an advance on your tax return next year. So this is not free money. I also had a conversation with someone today about the rising gas prices. Why in the world in some places of the, in this country is premium gas for over $4 and it was 4.49. Somebody sent me a screenshot in, from Atlanta where it was 4.49 a gallon. They're getting that stimulus money right back. If you thought that was free money and they were going to keep gas prices low, you were sadly mistaken, my friends. I traveled through South Carolina a lot, and in South Carolina, the gas is really, really reasonable. I mean, at one point, probably in the middle of the pandemic, it was in the low twos, $2.28, $2.40-something cents, $2.30-something cents. 
even premium is only I'm I'm sorry, even regular right now is only like 278. Premium's like 330 something. But in some areas, like I know in Jersey, it's well over $4 a gallon for premium. So they're getting their money back. So that's we kind of knew that was going to happen, but now it's actually manifesting and we're looking at it. So all those gains that people made, those that were able to uh, were not economically fragile during COVID, they're snatching that shit right back. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. They're, they're like, yeah, no, not so fast. So um, I just wanted to share that with you. So that way, if you know somebody who is receiving that $300 a month per child, it is not free money and likely in all likelihood based on your tax bracket and your tax returns and your sources of income may be considered an advance and you may have to pay that money back or your refund will be reduced that much when you by that much when you uh, file your taxes in 2022 so that sucks but did y'all really honestly let's keep it funky did you really honestly think that that was free money they have to get some of this money back. They gave people in Kentucky 1400 and then people in New Jersey and California and Connecticut and Maryland, some of the most expensive states in this country, the same $1,400. $1,400 in Kentucky lasts way more than $1,400 in Jersey. Trust me, I know. They're, they're going to snatch that money back. They're going to get it back one way or another. I also read reliably, and I promise I'll get into these tips of home ownership. I also read reliably that they are increasing the number of IRS audit agents. And this is why they're going to increase the number of audits for middle-class Americans. They don't go after the wealthy because they know the wealthy have the money and the lawyers and the advisors to fight an audit but middle people middle income people just don't they're like oh maybe i made a mistake and now they're sacked and saddled with penalties and fines all because they may have made a small accounting or clerical error but i think it's somewhat disingenuous but i'm not mad at the irs that they're actually hiring agents to audit more people so they can make more money because you know, if you start auditing people, people don't have the resources, they have jobs, they have children. This is not their first knowledge of how to do taxes. For many of us, it's not even secondary or tertiary. Like we just ba basically take our papers to H&R Block or TurboTax and say, can you, can you do this please? And so they know that. So they're no different. They're no different than predatory lenders, in my opinion. So I just think it it sucks really badly that the IRS is hiring more agents to audit middle class Americans to make up for the lost revenue. And so I'm sure these people who are doing audits have to audit enough to cover their salary. And once they do that, they're making money. It sucks, but this is America. Who said that childish Gambino, right? This is America. But anyway, let's get to the fun stuff. We're going to make this list really quick. I'm going to post it on a state of wealth on my blog because this is information that you can find pretty much anywhere. But this, but this information that I'm sharing really cuts through the weeds of, it. What, what do you say? It chews the meat and spits out the fat. This is the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of what you need to do when you're ready to buy a house. You can find many lists online, but this is as a, as a seasoned and working and functioning real estate agent, this is what I share with my clients all the time. And the number one thing you need to do, 
I don't want to count backwards. We're not doing it. We're hitting right out the gate, number one. Assess your personal finances. I have people that come to open houses. I'm, I'm doing an open house now that's just under 1.4, just under $1.5 million, actually. And I don't stop anybody from coming into an open house. But don't think you're going to get a house for $1.5 million and your credit score is in the fives. And you make $37,000 a year unless you're going to pay cash or you have rich family members. Assess your personal finances. Know what your income is. Know what your expenses are. Know what your credit score is. Ask questions about how much your down payment may be. Sorry, y'all. I thought I had to sneeze. Organize your papers so you can show lenders proof of your income and financial stability. When you go to buy a home, that money has to be seasoned. Your down payment money, they want to see it seasoned in the bank. You need to understand what your personal finances are, your debt to income ratio. And if you're not sure how to do these things, either seek out a real estate agent or seek out a real estate agent who can make a referral or find yourself a personal advisor. Even if you have to put them on retainer just to go through the home buying process, making sure you have a financial professional help you with your finances. Trust me, trust me, trust me. will make the home buying process so much easier because they will help you better frame what your finances look like to make it more appealing to a bank and a mortgage lender. So please, number one, maybe I should have gone backwards. Number one, assess your personal finances. Next thing, get mortgage quotes from at least three lenders. Here's why. Interest rates are all over the place and first-time homebuyer programs and this one might have a deal. Do not go with the first person that says they're going to give you a mortgage. You don't even know if that's going to be a good deal. Talk with a couple of people, talk with a couple of lenders or mortgage brokers to make sure you get the best interest rate and the best terms. Listen to what I'm getting ready to tell you. A, a, a lender may say, hey, Saida, will give you uh, a 30-year mortgage at 3% and this is what your mortgage payment is going to be. Another lender may say, hey, Saida, we'll give you a 15-year mortgage at 3.25%. Now, your payment is going to be higher because your interest rate is higher, all things considered equal in other areas, but you're paying your mortgage off 15 years earlier. Look at all scenarios. Listen to what they have to say. And if you're not sure what questions to ask, go back to step one when I said retain a financial professional. This People that buy a home, and I can say this from, a, from my personal experience, buying a home, I'm a numbers person and I'm in real estate. My husband was not, is not. That is not what he does every day. He doesn't wake up and look at uh, uh, PMI percentage points. He doesn't care about that. He wants to go to his job, come home, and enjoy his family. But there are people who are financial professionals. And if you're not sure, get a financial professional who can help interpret the mortgage market. That is a very, your real estate agent that you retain helps you interpret the real estate market. But your financial professional is going to help you interpret the mortgage market to make sure you're getting the best deal based on your long-term goals and desires. Once you do that, get yourself pre-approved for a mortgage. 
This way you know how much you can spend and the terms in which you will be paying back that money. I never, ever, ever, ever personally as an agent put people at the top of their budget because you may want to have room for, you want to have a little cash reserve. You can get a, um, a loan to do repairs. There's things that you can do. So I never put my clients at the top of their budget. If you're approved for 475, we're going to look at 445, 450, eh, maybe 460 tops. I try, you know, I try to shave 20, 25,000. And of course I'll make more money if you're at the top of your budget. But why would I do that? You want to have money to get furniture. You want to have money to, to, to buy nice things. Now, unless you can afford it or maybe take that extra money and put a bigger down payment to reduce your, your monthly payment or just take a shorter term for your mortgage. You don't have to have 30 years. My mom, when she was buying her house, she took 15-year mortgages on some of her properties and 10-year mortgage. On one of her properties, I believe she had a five-year mortgage, but she was buying a very rural part of the country where properties were not that expensive. But that's the thing. You get pre-approved. Now you shop for your home. You know how much you can spend. Then it comes time to making an offer. Here's where you need the assistance of a real estate agent. Some people think, oh, I can buy just the same way owners think they can do for sale by owner. I do not, I do not support that. Again, because this is not your primary thing that you do day in and day out. When some states, like I know in North Carolina, there's due diligence money. When I first started doing deals in North Carolina, I said, what is this thing called due diligence? I had never even heard of that. In New York and New Jersey, it's a little bit different. The agent does the contract. We send it to attorney review. The attorneys look at it. Once it's done, three days, we're making, you're on your way to buying a house. In New York, we don't even do that much. We put a deal sheet together and send it to the attorneys. Easy peasy. We don't put contracts together. In Jersey, we do. In North Carolina, there's due diligence. So there's all these steps that are involved in making an offer on a property. What happens? You make an offer, but then you find out through inspection that there's something wrong with the roof. There's a tank. There's a, 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 a infestation of insects. You have termites. There could be any number of things. When you make your offer, you want to make sure you're making it with the assistance of a professional to make sure any concessions can get to make sure concessions can get baked into that deal to make sure you're getting the best deal you possibly can on that property. Some closing costs are negotiable. Some closing costs are not. Here's where you cover all of that stuff. You want to make sure you get your home inspected. I will say this. We rented a home for years before we bought it. So I didn't get a home inspection because I didn't feel like I necessarily needed it. And at the time, you know, we bought so many years ago. Kids were younger. We were strapped for cash. We hedged our bets. We were lucky. I do not advise that. Make sure you get your home inspected. Like I said, we were very lucky. We didn't have, and we never had any issues with that property. But make sure you get your home inspected. You want to make sure that, you know, you got to remember the seller wants to sell their property. They cannot lie. And real estate agents can get into big trouble if they knowingly know something is compromised in that property and they don't disclose it they can get a fine and potentially lose their license. But sellers will shade things just because they wanna sell the property and move on to the next place in their life. Somebody could have died, death, divorce, um, any number of things while they're selling. And you just wanna make sure that what you're buying is properly um, 
it, it's represented the way the seller is saying that, that under the terms and conditions that the seller is actually selling it. And that you can save yourself a world of trouble and a lot of money just by getting a home inspector. It's different states differ about who will pay for it. Um, I know in New Jersey, we were we would have been um, responsible for high, for doing a home inspection, and that's one of the reasons we opted not to, um, just because we didn't have it. When you have a young family, you're strapped, you're trying to buy your first home, we just didn't have it. But, you know, get make sure you cover yourself. A home is, is, is well documented as one of the most expensive financial transactions you will likely make in your life. You want to make sure this asset is protected as much as possible. You do not want to buy a home because you are emotionally connected to it because it has these big, beautiful windows, but then the deck is on its last leg and it's getting ready to crumble apart. Or I was recently, peep this, I was recently showing a home in this beautiful section in Charlotte and the frames around the windows on the outside were compromised. They were so compromised. And the way I found out is I leaned against the window and like the, the, the frame around the window like crumbled a little bit. So I don't know if it had like insect infestation that ate away at the wood. I don't know what it was. But when I leaned up against it and it kind of crumbled, I was like, oh, Lord, that's not good. So, you know, you these, there's there, the home inspector is going to find things that you may not see to the naked eye. So just make sure I can go on and on ad nauseum about this. Just make sure you have your asset protected. Secure your homeowner's insurance. Finalize your moving details. Um, those are the last things you want to do. Make sure you have your mail transferred. This list I'm going to post on estateofwealth.com. It's definitely not exhaustive, but these are the these are the key things that I share with my clients that they need to do when they come to me and say, Saida, I'm ready to buy a home. These are the this is the 101, the basics. Um, but again, we you know we can take it as deep into numbers and stats and and factoring factoring in the impact and long-term implications of this home a particular home purchase with your financial um, advisor um, but but I strongly encourage this what this is the advice my mother told me you get the smallest house in the biggest neighbor no you get the least expensive house in the most expensive neighborhood that's what it is you get the least you purchase the least expensive house in the most expensive neighborhood. So what, you live in a smaller home. Look at who your neighbors are. That's, the, that's, the, that's those generational wealth conversations that you will not be able to partake in and enjoy if you live in the biggest house in the worst neighborhood. Unless, of course, that area is being gentrified and it's gonna be okay in the next three years. But under the course of normal circumstances, buy yourself the least expensive house in the nicest neighborhood that you can afford and watch your asset appreciate just by default of who your neighbors are. So again, I'm posting this list on a state of wealth. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Saida Brown. I will be publishing, I'm working, shh, don't tell anybody, on a book entitled A State of Wealth. Hopefully it'll be out before Christmas. It's a lot of research to get this book right. This will be book number, it'll be published book number 11 but it'll actually be my 13th book. So I've been writing books since 2003, 2003-ish, 2004-ish. Um, and so I love sharing and, 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 and 
offering the knowledge that's in my head and the accumulated wisdom of the people that I have conversations with to you. And so I really appreciate and give a big shout out to all of my fans and supporters who have bought my books over the years. Courage to Climb, Life Remix, Happiness and Heels, Politics Remixed, um, um, From Hip Hop to Heaven, Don't Wait to Lose Weight. I wrote that in 2015 when I was on this journey that I just had to lose weight. And the last book I wrote, believe it or not, was in 2018, Bloodline, A Generational Wealth Playbook. I wrote that over the course of the summer and it was released in November of 2018. I, I, it got great traction during 2019. And then of course, 2020, we shut down with COVID. So I just feel like the Lord has placed it on my heart that it's time to write another book. Um, so I actually started working on it, but shh, we'll probably start pre-sales, <laughs> pre-sales in the fall. But anyway, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. And always remember, we shall pass through this world, but once Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. I'm Saida Brown. Thank you for listening to A State of Wealth, and I'll see you next time.